Uh, we're continuing on through the greatest prayer in the world, uh, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave to us. And He said, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And we're looking at it petition by petition so that we can understand uh, what we are praying and why we should be praying as Jesus taught us to pray. And this morning we're going to look at the last petition about temptation and then next week we'll conclude by looking at what's commonly known as the doxology. So Matthew 6, beginning at verse 7, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, once again, we want to ask You to teach us how to pray. And we want to ask You to send Your Holy Spirit to fall upon us so that we can have understanding, so that we can have strength, so that we can have confidence in the midst of the battle. Father, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what we should pray for. But Jesus is instructing us. Continue to instruct us so that our prayer lives can grow and our Christian lives can flourish. And we ask these things confidently in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A sincere and godly woman prayed on one occasion, Dear Lord, this has been a good day. I haven't gossiped or been envious of my neighbors. I've been a loving and respectful wife. I haven't lost my temper or yelled at the kids. Also, I've been passionately focused on you and living for your glory. But in a couple of moments, I'm going to get out of bed. And I'm going to need a lot more of your grace. <laughs> Can any of you relate to that? <laughs> uh, when I was in college, back in the dark ages, <laughs> getting older and older, um, there were a number of uh, high-profile scandals. Uh, Jim and Tammy... Baker were involved in a well-known scandal. Uh, Jimmy Swaggart also was involved in a scandal. Um, a lesser known but prominent um, evangelical by the name of Gordon McDonald uh, was involved in a scandal as well. Um, just recently, I, I heard, and perhaps you heard this as well, that we were uh, celebrating, isn't the correct quite the right word, but remembering the 40th anniversary of the resignation of former President Richard Nixon. And we could talk about uh, the scandals involving football players, basketball players, and right on down the list. Uh, but this is the question I have for you. When you hear of such a scandal, when you hear of a high-profile individual falling, how do you respond one godly man, whenever he heard of any person who had committed some notorious sin, would say to himself, he fell today 
I may fall tomorrow. And I hope you really do say to yourself, but for the grace of God, go I. This is what Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 10.12. He said, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul was reminding us, anybody who thinks that he stands, he needs to be careful, he needs to watch himself, because all of us could fall. We really could fall tomorrow. Now, as we look at the final petition of the Lord's Prayer, we see Jesus telling us to pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is reminding us that we need to petition God. We need to pour out our hearts to Him and ask God not to lead us into a temptation that would be too strong for us so that it would overwhelm us and the evil one would get the upper hand on us. We need to pray to Him. And how often should we pray this prayer? At least every single day. Let me remind you of the connection that we looked at last week. In the fourth petition, we're told, give us this day our daily bread. And not all translations have this, but I hope you have it. It is there right in the Greek. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And last week we said, how often should we ask for forgiveness? As often as we ask God to forgive us. Give us this day our daily bread and right after that, we should ask for forgiveness. And right after that, we should ask God not to lead us into a temptation that would be too much for us, but we should ask God to deliver us from evil. So at least every single day, we should be praying that God would deliver us from evil. Now, in this petition, there are at least four things that Jesus is clearly implying. Number one, he's clearly implying that we're in a battle. We have enemies. Namely, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it may be that the devil is highlighted in the second half of the petition. Uh, Many translations have, but deliver us from the evil one. Literally, it's masculine in the Greek. And it could be translated, deliver us from the evil one, which would be a reminder, not only do we have to watch out for the flesh, not only do we have to watch out for this world system that is opposed to God and His ways, but we need to remember we have an enemy which is evil incarnate in the person of Satan who's coming against us with his minions in order to devour us. So perhaps we're being reminded we have an enemy. We're at war. John Piper writes, and this is in your devotional that you can read later, life is war. And he says, that's not all it is, but it is that always. Uh, We are involved in war. We have an enemy who comes after us when the opportune time is right. So, one of the things that's implied in this is that we're in a battle. Number two, another thing that's implied in this is that your greatest threat and my greatest threat is not suffering, but sin. I think that's very significant. 
Jesus is bringing us through the Lord's Prayer and He says right at the end, pray that you don't give way to temptation. Pray that you'll be delivered from the evil one who wants you to fall, which is a reminder we need to watch out for sin. That's the greatest threat we have. Not suffering. Uh, A Puritan by the name of Thomas Manton uh, had a sermon a number of years ago and he mentioned 15 reasons why the greatest suffering is better than the smallest sin. And this is found in the back of your outline. I'm not going to go through all 15 of these reasons. I'm just going to highlight a few. Um, But you can read this later if you like for your edification. Uh, But this is what Thomas Manton said. He said, Sin separates us from God, but suffering and affliction doesn't. Therefore, the greatest affliction is to be chosen before the least sin. He said, sin is evil in itself, whether we feel it or not, but affliction is no evil in our sense and feeling. He said, affliction brings inconvenience upon the body only and concerns the body, but sin brings inconvenience upon the soul. He said, an afflicted state is consistent with being loved by God, but a sinful state is a sign of God's displeasure. He said, affliction may be good, but sin is never good. There's nothing at the base of a man more than sin. He also said, afflictions come from God, but sin from the devil. He said, the evil of suffering is for a moment, but the evil of sin is forever And then one other thought, in sufferings and persecutions we lose the favor of man, but by sins we lose the favor of God. So we want to be careful of sin because we don't want to lose God's favor. We want to enjoy His presence and and His power in our life. Therefore, we need to beware not of suffering, but of sin, which would have a more devastating effect upon us. And two other implications that are very obvious real quickly. Another implication is that we're weak and vulnerable. That should be clear, which is why we're praying this in the first place. And a final implication, we need God's intervention. We need God's intervention. That's why we're praying. Because we can't go toe-to-toe with the devil. We need God to intervene before us. Now, let me make... uh, one other connection between this petition and what comes before us. And, and I think I, I would state it this way. Uh, the more you pray the first three petitions and commit to those, the more you need to pray the last three. If you are pouring out your heart to God, asking His name to be hallowed, if you're praying for His kingdom to come and then praying, Lord, show me how I can advance Your kingdom. Show me what I can do. And if you're praying, Lord, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may it be done in my life. Help me to carry out Your will in my life as faithfully as I can. If you're really praying those things and committed to those things, you know whose attention you're going to get? You're going to get Satan's attention. And he's going to come after you so that he can derail you from exalting God's name and advancing His kingdom. So if you're praying for those things, then you're going to have to pray all the more and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If if life is just going along swimmingly for you, if things are just, you know, 
smooth as can be, that may not be a good sign. One student at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary said he overheard this conversation between a fellow student and Professor Howard Hendricks. He said the student was excited to tell Dr. Hendricks how well his life was going. The student said, when I first came here, I was so tempted and tested. I could barely keep my head above water. But now, praise God, my life at seminary has smoothed out. I'm not being tempted hardly at all. But Hendricks looked deeply alarmed. Not the reaction the student was expecting. That's about the worst thing I could have heard, he told the surprised senior. That shows that you're no longer in the battle. Satan isn't worried about you anymore. I think there's a lot of truth to that. As we step up, as we say, I'm going to pass out this car, I'm going to do my best to witness my neighbors and co-workers. Don't be surprised, but expect for there to be greatest opposition, or excuse me, greater opposition, regardless of where it may come from. You can guarantee the source behind it all is Satan himself. Now, the question I want us to address this morning is, how can we be delivered from evil? How can we be delivered from the world, the flesh, and the devil? Put another way, how can we live holy lives which please God and don't end in disgrace and don't end in a terrible fall? Let me give you five answers to that question. You can fill in the outline if this helps you. Number one, and again, let's just begin with the obvious. Acknowledge your weakness. Acknowledge your weakness. What's implicit in the Lord's Prayer is made explicit when Jesus talked to His disciples when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you'd like, you can turn ahead to Matthew 26. This is right after the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. And He goes to His usual place of prayer, the Garden of Gethsemane, where He likes to meet with His Father. He brings His disciples with Him. We'll talk about that in a moment, but that's intentional. He brings His disciples with Him. He pours out His heart to God because of the trial that was in front of Him. And this is what He says to His disciples And I'll just read verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. You need to pray. Peter, instead of sleeping. I know your spirit is willing. Remember a little earlier? Peter said, even I'll deny you. I'll never deny you. Not me. No, not me. Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. It's not implied here. It's made explicit. He's direct. Your your flesh is weak. There's a story from uh, history that records the fate of two men who were condemned to die under Queen Mary also known as Bloody Mary. Uh, She's infamous for her persecution of Christians. She had some 280 Christians burned at the stake. Um, On one occasion, two men were both facing 
uh, the stake because of their, their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the men boasted very loudly to his companions that he would be a man at the stake. He was going to play the man. He was so grounded in the Gospel that he knew he would never deny Christ. He even said that he longed for the fateful morning like a bride for her wedding. His prison companion was a poor, trembling soul, though, who determined not to deny his master was much afraid of the fire. He said he had always been very sensitive to suffering. And he was in great dread that when he began to burn, the pain might cause him to deny the truth. He urged his friends to pray for him and spend his time weeping over his weakness and crying out to God for strength. The other man continually rebuked him and chided him for being so unbelieving and weak. When they both came to the stake, he who had been so bold recanted at the sight of the fire and went back disgracefully to an apostate's life. While the poor, trembling man whose prayer had been, lead me not into temptation, stood firm as a rock, praising and magnifying God as he died a cruel death. It's one of the greatest paradoxes of the Christian life. Those who are weak are strong and those who are strong are weak. That's what Paul discovered, remember? 2 Corinthians 12 when he asked God to remove the thorn in the flesh and then the Lord said to him, no, I'm not going to remove it, but my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in what? Weakness. And then Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it's in those weak moments that the power of Christ rests upon us. So the beginning place is to realize and acknowledge we are weak. Secondly, we need to persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. And again, the whole context of this is prayer. But think of Jesus again in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's facing the greatest battle of His life. He's not facing fire for His face. He's facing the cross. And He's not facing flames. He's facing the wrath of God. And how is He going to face that? By getting down on His knees, crying out to the Father for strength. And if Jesus had to cry out to the Father for strength for what He was facing, what do you and I need to do? Jesus faced the greatest battle of His life on His knees as He poured out His heart to God. And perhaps my uh, favorite verse on prayer is Mark 9.29. Uh, context is a man with a demon-possessed son and he brings his son to the disciples and he asks the disciples uh, to drive out the, the demon. The disciples couldn't do it. Jesus drives out the demon. The disciples come to Jesus later and they say, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says in Mark 9.29, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And what Jesus is saying there is very profound. He's saying this kind, this kind of demonic opposition, which is a reminder that there, there's ranks in the demonic army, just like there's ranks in God's army with the angels or ranks in any human army on earth. There's ranks. 
And Jesus is saying, this kind of demon, because of its rank, because of its power, because of its superiority, this kind cannot be driven out by anything except what? What did Jesus say? Prayer. So I don't know what the disciples tried to do to drive it out, but I know what they didn't do. They didn't pray. And Jesus says, you have to realize there are going to come moments in your life when nothing's going to work. And you might be at such a place right now. Maybe you're up against some kind of opposition and you're not gaining victory. You're not gaining the upper hand. You're just falling again and again and again. It may be that you're up against this kind that's way up here. And maybe God is saying, you only have one hope. One hope of driving it out. Only one hope of victory in this battle. Your only hope is prayer. It's your only hope. Maybe the only thing you need to hear this morning is Jesus saying to you, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. So until you pray, you will not have victory. Third answer to how we can have victory, number three, is don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. And this has to do with fellowship. And I, and I mentioned Jesus. When He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, now, we might think He's praying alone. In a sense, he, he is. He's a stone's throw from the disciples. He's praying alone. But notice what the text says, if you're still there. And this, this is Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with Him... Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. See what Jesus is saying? Watch with me. He's not doing it alone. Jesus is not the lone ranger here. He is the lone Son of God. He's not the lone ranger. He's saying, Watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour. See the point? Jesus brought his disciples with, so that they could watch with him. It wasn't his intention to be alone with the Father. It was his intention to be alone with the Father, with his disciples there as well. Turn to Luke 22, if you will. Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So here's Peter. He's going to be tempted. He didn't even know what was coming upon him. He was completely oblivious because he was full of himself, full of, full of arrogance, thinking, not me. These other guys, they might abandon you, but not me. I'll die if I have to. And Jesus is saying, you have no idea what the battle is. But I'm praying for you. You're not praying for yourself, but I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail, that it will persevere. 
When we're going through difficult times, it's great to say to other believers, pray with me. And there's so many other passages I could point you to, but let me just give you one other remind you that the Christian life is something that's to be done in fellowship with brothers and sisters. I think we, we have taken this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and elevated it to unbiblical proportions where we think it's just me and Jesus. And we think I can sit home on a Sunday morning and, and watch and watch church. I mean, there, there's a strange idea. Watch church. I, I, I would love to have a verse backing that up. The Christian life is a corporate life. When you're baptized, one of the first things that happens is you are baptized not only into Jesus, but into the body of Christ. You're, you're connected not only with Jesus, but you're connected to your brothers and sisters. 2 Timothy 2.22 Paul says to young Timothy, So, flee youthful passions and... You gotta do both, and I'm gonna talk about this again in a minute, but you gotta flee youthful passions, and you can't just flee, you gotta do something else. You gotta pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So you gotta flee those passions, those, those things that take you down, you gotta pursue righteousness, and you have to do it with other believers. Which is a great verse that we could use for saying why it's helpful to to attend Sunday school that's going to be starting in, in two weeks. <laughs> why it's helpful to go to small group, which is starting up September 10th at, at 7 p.m. in the evening. Uh, but, but seriously, I'm, I'm not saying you, you have to go to those groups, but I am saying you have to get together with other believers. You have to do it. It's a command. Run away from this. Run to this. And run with other believers so that when you get tired, they'll say, come on, we can do it. Right? It's why it's a good idea to work out the health club with other people, right? You get tired, say, come on! Come on, you wimp! Do a couple more reps! Come on! <laughs> or if you run, you know, come on, we can finish this race. Let's go! Oh, I'm so tired. Come on, let's keep going! It's the same with the Christian race. Run it with other people so that when you fall down, they can pick you up, right? Two are better than one. Right? Ecclesiastes. We're to run with other believers. Number four. Hopefully this is obvious. Saturate yourself with Scripture. D.L. Moody said, Sin will keep you from this book. Or this book will keep you from sin. Okay, I think that was D.L. Moody. When in doubt, say it was Moody. <laughs> Regardless of who said it originally, it's true, and this is what we read in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, and it's going to be hard to memorize it in the NIV, but how can a young man keep his way pure? Or a middle aged man? Or an old man? By guarding it, keeping it according to Your Word. With my whole heart, I seek You. Let me not wander from Your commandments. I have stored up Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. So, store up God's Word in our heart. Read it. Meditate on it. 
memorize it, go through it throughout the day so that you don't sin against God. And then, number five, one more. Just say what? Careful, 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 careful. Just say yes. Okay? Very important. Some of you may recall that that slogan, just say no, uh, was introduced by Nancy Reagan uh, a number of years ago. And that was her advice to kids when they're tempted with drugs in school. Just say no. Um, if they're tempted by premarital sex, just say no. If they're tempted by anything that's wrong, just say no. Sounds good, right? It's only one problem. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. What did Paul say in Colossians 2, 21 and following? Um, he refers to these different rules. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. See? Just say no. Just say no to that. Just say no to that. Just say no to the earth. Just, just say no. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human perceptions and teachings. And then he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Just say no. You've got to have something to say yes to. Just say yes to the power and presence of God in your life. If you're going to say no to something, you have to have something else that you can say yes to. You have to be able to say, I don't want that because I want that. There has to be a trade-off. You have to say no to McDonald's because we're going to this five-star restaurant in downtown Chicago. So if you say no to something, there has to be a yes. And the yes is the joy of the Lord, enjoying His power, enjoying His presence in our lives, enjoying the blessings that are ours, enjoying a clear conscience, knowing that He is pleased with us. Matthew Henry, another Puritan, said, The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hook. I like that. Can I read it again? The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assault of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hook. The joy of the Lord is the answer. What did Nehemiah say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. So we have to remind ourselves of how great God is. John Piper says, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to develop a distaste for it by a superior satisfaction in God. How do you triumph over sin long term? It's not just willpower. It's not just saying, I'm going to say no to that long term. It's because you have a superior satisfaction in God. You want God in your life. You want to enjoy His power and His presence in your life. That's how you do it. I I think the order of the Lord's Prayer is very significant. Why does this come at the end? 
Because after talking about God's name and God's kingdom and God's will, then we ask for God's provision and we say, and God provided. How did God provide? Well, let's just take time and let's just list off all the ways this last week in which God provided and let's just thank Him one by one. Count His many blessings one by one. Some of you familiar with that? And, and then let's say, and you know what? Even though this God has been so good to me, has blessed me in manifold ways, I can't even remember all the ways that He's blessed me. I sin against Him. And then you know what He does when I ask for forgiveness? He forgives me. Can you believe it? He's so good to me. He's been good to me for 20 years. And how do I repay Him? How do I say thank I sin against Him. What's wrong with me? And then when I ask Him for forgiveness, you know what He does again? He forgives me again for the same sin. What a great and glorious God. And then when you think about His provision and His forgiveness, then you come to this last petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You say, you know what? I hate sin. I don't want to give in to sin again because I love God. He's been so good to me. He's blessed me in so many ways. And because of that, I don't want to sin. I want to be delivered. I want to live a life that pleases Him. Not because I'm trying to earn anything. It's a game first, then we think we'd have to earn His blessings. That's why the order is important. We're not earning His blessings. Because He blesses us, we want to respond by saying, thank you. Why wouldn't I want to please you? Why wouldn't I want to show you how much I love you by submitting to your wonderful commands that are just so great? And they really are. Oh, so Lord, lead me not into temptation where I would disgrace you and fall. Deliver me from the evil one so that I can please you, so that I can do what you're calling me to do. That's, that's the motivation. So that we can turn around and say, Lord, and this is what I'm offering back to you. That's a sign of my love and my devotion to you. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you that Jesus is teaching us how to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're seeing so many things why the order is important, why each one of these petitions is important. Father, forgive us for neglecting this prayer pattern. Help us to apply it more to our lives. And help us to see this is the prayer that that pleases You. This is the prayer that we need to pray because it addresses our greatest needs. And Father, I do want to pray for everyone in this congregation. I just want to pray that this next week You would be a shield about us. I love that phrase. Not not just a shield in front of us, but about us, around us, protecting us from the evil one who's going to come against us as we pray about passing out a simple little card, as we pray about inviting people to church. Protect us. Protect us from ourselves, Lord. Sometimes we, we understand that our greatest enemy is not without, but within. Protect us from ourselves and our own flesh, which unfortunately, is still too active in our lives. Protect us from this world system that is opposed to God. And help us to grow in our love for You so that when the love of the Father and the love of the world is set side by side, there's no choice. We want the love of the Father. 
Father, may that be the motivating factor driving our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.